turn to Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. Just to make sure before we start, everybody hear me okay? Are we on? Good. Nod for yes, shake for no. Okay, some of you, all right, we're good. All right, Luke chapter 2, Matthew 2 is where we're going to start here in just a few minutes. But I want to remind you, in case you've been with us the last three weeks, or maybe you've missed some, or maybe you're here for the first time today, we've been in this short sermon series through the Christmas season. And Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, as you see on the PowerPoint, has been our theme verse. In Galatians 4, 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The last three weeks we've taken this verse and we've kind of dissected it. We've broke it down. We've looked at the different parts of this verse. And I've told you each sermon, what I'm looking for as we really dive deeper into this verse is what do we learn about God? What's the nature of God? What do we learn about God? And then what do we learn about ourselves? Like how do, what is it, how does it impact how we live as followers of Jesus? So if you look at that verse, the second part of it says God sent His Son. God is a sending God. He always has been, and He's still a sending God today. We looked at born of a woman. That's a loaded statement, just four short words, but born of a woman, that means the Word became flesh. That means God became one of us. So He's God incarnate. He places Himself in our shoes, and maybe we could do the same thing for others. Last week we looked at born under the law. God incarnate who gave the law now becomes subject to the law and is obedient to the law and fulfills the law. So He's the God who fulfills and then maybe for us we can do like Jesus did and we can bloom where we're planted. Now I've saved the first part of Galatians 4.4 4 where it says, but when the fullness of time had come, I've saved that for this sermon today. That's my favorite part of this verse. And I've been looking forward to preaching this. So we're going to focus this morning on in the fullness of time. Now you look at the screen right there, and, it, and I just want to key in on this word time for just a few minutes. I wonder, if you're looking at this word and you're thinking about this word time, what feelings are drawn up in you? What comes to mind when you see this word time? Earlier this week, my four-year-old son was being very nice one morning, very energetic. I'm not a morning person. So he came up to me and he said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I wanted to say it's a little too late to be asking me that, but I, I didn't say that. You know, he was being nice and I was frustrated because I had a lot to do that day and a little time to do it. And my phone was already blowing up. And so when he said, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I just said the first thing that came to my mind that I really wanted. And I said, I want more time. That's what I want. Well, that night, I forgot that happened. Later that night when I got home, Jessica said to me, do you know that Christian's been talking all day about how what he wants to get you for Christmas is time? Where does that come from? And I said, it's because I told him that this morning. So he's a nice little kid. He's trying to figure out a way to buy me more time. That's just not something that he can grant. We live in a fast-paced world. We live at a time in human history where we've got so much to do, it feels like we just don't have enough time. With Christmas being just a few days away, how many of you feel like you're running out of time? Anybody feel that way? You still have gifts to buy, maybe? Maybe you're making preparations for people to come over, or you're making 
travel plans. We're leaving today to go out of town and I haven't even packed yet. Like it feels like we're always running out of time. As I worked on this lesson and I was thinking and reflecting on this word time, I thought about my wife and I thought about a lot of other moms and their daily routine, their weekly routine. Get up early in the morning when the alarm goes off. Wake the kids up. Get the kids ready for school. Get them fed. Drive to school. Sit through the line. Drop them off. And then you have to be back by 3 o'clock to pick them up. So in between, maybe you have work, a place that you work, and you have to go do your job. Or maybe you go home and you have laundry and you have dishes and you have chores and groceries to get. And if kids are sick, you have to take them to the doctor. Maybe a little bit of a social life. Maybe you have church activities that you have to do. But no matter what, you have this time crunch of you got to be back at school by 3 o'clock to pick up your kids. And then if your kids are involved in extracurricular activities, you have to get them there on time and pick them up on time. You get them home, you do your homework, you cook dinner, you get them ready for bed, you put them to bed. And if you have any energy left, maybe you'll spend some time doing something else in the evening. Then you go to bed, and then you wake up the next morning, the alarm hits, and it's like started all over again. And then you just repeat, repeat, repeat. And it seems like there's just not enough time to get everything done, and it seems like before you know it, it's the next day and it's time to do it again. For me, in my life, I think about time as a preacher. And preachers have this saying that's been around for a long time, Sunday is coming. And what I mean by that is everybody's ritual, it seems like, on Sunday mornings, come to church, go to class, hopefully you stay for class, just not today because we're not having it. And then you go eat and then you go home. Maybe you take a nap on the couch. And the thing that I think as soon as I wake up for my short little nap is I have six and a half days to have the next sermon in final form ready to go. So every week, my week is kind of like this. I am working on a time crunch. Each moment that passes, each day that goes by is one day closer to having to preach the next sermon. So all the study time, all the preparation, all the review, making the PowerPoint, finalizing, editing, changing, moving things around, working on your Bible class, responding to emails, responding to people, going to meetings, all this stuff is crunched into one week and it's like Sunday is always coming and it seems like there's a lot to do and not enough time. So as human beings... As we get in the routine of life and we think about time, and we never seem to have enough time. And then on the flip side of that, it seems like time is just flying by. If you're raising kids or you have grandkids, you blink, and then all of a sudden they're bigger and they're older and things are changing and you're older, maybe not bigger, but you're getting older and it just time is just flying by. And what can we do about it? We can't stop it. We can't slow it down. And so we yield to a God who is above and beyond our own concepts of time. We trust in a God who is the creator of all time. And in Galatians 4.4, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, that's when God sent His Son. Paul indicates in Galatians 4.4 that the fullness of time was the right time in human history for this to take place, for the incarnation, for the plan of salvation, not just the incarnation, but the whole thing, the cross and the resurrection. The word fullness comes from this Greek word pleroma, and it just basically means, you see on the screen, that which fills up, that which makes something full or complete, or that which is brought to fullness. 
So in the fullness of time, when it was complete, when the time was right, that's when God sent His Son. So somehow, in God's infinite wisdom, He felt that around 2023, 24 years ago, that God felt that was the right time in human history to send His Son. This is beyond human comprehension. We can kind of wrestle with this a little bit and try to understand it, but why, at that point in human history, why was that the right time? We don't know, but in God's wisdom, He knew that that was the right time. In fact, we date, I mean, all time, human history is divided based on this event that Paul's talking about in Galatians 4.4. Philip Yancey wrote in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he said, everything that's ever happened on this planet is dated before Christ or after Christ. We're off a little bit. It's probably, Jesus was probably born about 4 B.C., but basically, for the best we could, we could do it, we divide time based on what Paul's writing here in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. So if we look at the birth story of Jesus, this God sending His Son into the world, we can start in Luke chapter 2, and we can kind of just flip around a, a little bit looking at this story, and you'll notice in the story that the time Jesus was born into was not the easiest of conditions to be born. In Luke 2, starting in verse 1, it said, In those days a decree went out from the emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. The Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, determined that a census needed to take place. And it just happened to be at the time that God was sending His Son. Verse 3, All went to their towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. So Joseph travels from Nazareth, goes south to Bethlehem because of the census. So why was this the right time? Why did this happen to be the right time in God's infinite wisdom that when Mary was late in her pregnancy, she had to travel? That doesn't seem like the best conditions and the best time to be traveling, but God knew this was the fullness of time. This was the right time. In verse 6 and 7, while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Why was this the right time? Why, when they had to travel to Bethlehem, because of the census, the city was so crowded that they didn't even have space for Joseph and for Mary and for Jesus to be born, so he winds up being born and placed in a manger because they don't have a room. Why was that the right time? It doesn't seem like the time I would have picked if it were me. You flip over to Matthew chapter 2. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew also shares the birth story of Jesus, and he talks about the wise men who follow the star and, and wind up where Jesus is. And then we're told in verse 13 of Matthew 2, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14, Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. 
in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. Why was this the right time? Why was it the right time to send His Son into a world where you have King Herod ruling over everything, and he's so threatened by hearing about this King, this Messiah who was born in Bethlehem, and he's so crazy that he sent people to destroy and to kill Jesus, so much so that an angel appears to Joseph and says, get up and leave during the night. Leave urgently because your life is in danger. And if you don't get out now, Herod could have Jesus killed. So he has to get up, get up Mary, get up Jesus and flee to Egypt. Why was that the right time? Seems like a difficult time to me. In verse 16, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. So when we think about the Christmas story, sometimes we think of nativity scenes and a nice cuddly baby, but there's a lot of pain and discomfort and danger in this story. Why was it the right time when Herod was so paranoid that even though he wasn't able to kill Jesus, he killed all these other children? Why was this the right time? Why was this the fullness of time? From a human standpoint, it seems like there could have been a better time or maybe a more comfortable time at least. The day before Thanksgiving this year, uh, we woke up and Jessica had a really sharp pain in her lower back and it was so bad, the pain was increasing. She pretty much knew what it was because she's had it before. She had a kidney stone. And I told her, if you want to, we can go to the emergency room. And she tried to fight it and finally she said, let's go. So I loaded her up in the car. I didn't know where to go. So we went to the hospitality ER because people have told me to go there. So we went, we checked in. I mean, she's having a miserable time, but I was a little bit excited because they had all these snacks over in the corner. So I went over and got some snacks while we were waiting. I hadn't had breakfast. It was lunchtime. And then they call us back to a room. We get into our own personal room, and they're trying to hook an IV up to her. She winds up passing out. I mean, she's completely miserable. But while this is happening, somebody else walks in the room and says, would, Sir, would you like a Chick-fil-A sandwich? And I said, Absolutely. And so... When they finally get the IV in her and she's kind of calmed down a little bit, I turn on the TV and there's ESPN Classic. I love ESPN Classic and we don't have it. So I'm sitting there watching an old football game. And I knew we were going to be there for a while, so I got my Google Docs out on my phone and I started working on this sermon that I'm preaching today. And while I was doing that, somebody else knocked on the door with this hospitality ER shirt on and she said, would either of you like a massage? And Jessica, in drugged up state she was in, she said, no. And I said, does it cost extra? And she said, no. And I said, sure, I'll take a massage. So within our time of being at this emergency room, I'm getting Chick-fil-A sandwiches. I got cookies behind me. I made myself a cup of coffee. I'm watching TV. I'm working on my sermon. I got my own personal bathroom, my own room. I'm getting a massage. Like, it's not that bad of an experience. I mean, Jessica didn't enjoy it at all, but it wasn't so bad for me. But as I'm working on this sermon, as I'm studying through Matthew 2 and Luke 2 and kind of reflecting on Galatians 4.4, 4, I'm thinking, why was that the right time? If I were God, from my limited perspective, I probably would have chose the 21st century when there's modern medicine and there's hospitals like we have today where you can go to the emergency room and you're not stuck down in some basement somewhere or some cave to have a baby like this would have been a much more comfortable time to be born. 
And yet somehow, some way, God believed in His wisdom that in the first century, a little over 2,000 years ago, that that was the fullness of time. That was the right time. I've been doing this series on Galatians 4.4 for a few weeks now, and many of you probably know Gerald Pinson, who's a member of this church, and Dr. Gerald Pinson, he shared a book that he wrote with me. He shared it with me. Uh, he gave it to me last, or let me borrow it. I don't know if he gave it to me. I've tried not to underline in it, but he let me borrow it last Sunday, and he said, I wrote a book on this topic that you're preaching on. So I've spent some time this week reading through his book, and he does a great job of highlighting world history and biblical history and how they're woven together and basically showing how God has been working through all these centuries leading up to this point to what Paul is talking about, the fullness of time. And others have written about this too. You can read a lot of commentaries and scholars out there who look at this time when Jesus was born and how maybe it really was a pretty good time for God to come. A guy named Ken Shigematsu said that in hindsight, we can look back at the first century and see that, yeah, maybe this was a pretty good time. Maybe it was a favorable time for God to be born. So if we just consider what was going on, other than it was harsh and Herod was trying to kill him and they didn't have a hospital room to go into, but if you looked at the world and what was going on around them, it was a good time to travel. You've heard the statement before, all roads lead to Rome. And around the time Jesus was born, the Romans were building roads that connected city to city, with eventually all roads leading to Rome. So after Jesus dies on a cross and resurrects and then is ascended to heaven, and, and we read through Acts like we studied earlier this year, and we have the apostles, and, and then we get Paul, and they start these missionary journeys, and they start spreading out all over the world to all nations, just like Jesus had taught him to do. They're able to travel and spread the gospel because of the time that they lived in because these roads were being built by the Romans. So it actually was a pretty good time for travel. It's a good time for language. Several centuries before Jesus was born, a guy named Alexander the Great had pretty much conquered the world. And through doing so, he was trying to spread Greek language and Greek culture. So by the time that Jesus is born, by the time that Paul and the other missionaries begin spreading the gospel message all over the world, Paul is able to communicate in this universal language, Koine Greek. And the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. And so the gospel message was spread because of the universal language. So it was actually a pretty good time for that. And some say it was a good time spiritually. Well before Jesus was ever born, you had these Greek philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, and they had raised questions about the meaning of life. And around the world, outside of Judaism, people were thinking differently. They were ready for something. It's like the way had been prepared, and their hearts were open. And so when Paul and the other missionaries traveled and spread the message of Jesus, people were receptive. Historically, we can look back at this time and say, well, maybe it does make a little bit of sense. A great New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, points out that when Jesus died, he dies in this Jewish area in Jerusalem. And no less than 25 years later, people all over the world had heard about it too. People in Rome, people in Athens, 
And he points out that early Christianity spread like wildfire. The gospel message spread all over the world and it spread quickly. And so you look at it from that perspective, as Ken Shigematsu says, in hindsight, it seems like maybe this was an opportune time. We've got to trust that God knows what He's doing and this was the right time for God to send His Son. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Peter points out that the way God views time is very different than how we view time. With the Lord, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. So God's timing is different than our timing. And you combine what Peter's saying with what Paul's saying in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. That what we learn about God and the nature of God is He is not confined to time like we are. And God's timing is different than our timing because God knows the right time. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary in a dream to tell her, you're going to become pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You're going to give birth to this child, name him Jesus, and he is going to be the Savior of the world. When the fullness of time had come, God sent an angel to, to Joseph to tell Joseph, hey, Mary's pregnant, don't worry, it's through the Holy Spirit, don't divorce her, stay with her. You're going to give birth to a son named Jesus. It will save people from their sin. When the fullness of time had come, somehow, some way, God communicated to these wise men and led them by a star all the way to Bethlehem to see and to offer gifts to this child that had been born that was going to be king of the Jews. When the fullness of time had come, God sent angels to appear to these shepherds in a field at night and to tell them, go see this child. And so they did. When they went and saw Him, they left and they told everyone about it. When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So the way that we live on this earth, as I mentioned from the beginning, we live within the constraints of time. We have limited time. Life seems to be passing us by quickly. And each day and each week goes by so quick and we just seem to always be running out of time and not having enough time. But yet, we come every Sunday and hopefully every day of our week we worship the living God who is not limited to our concept of time. So you combine the two together. Our limited view of time and then God's view of time. And wisdom tells me as a follower of Jesus the one thing I can do is to trust in the God who is beyond our limited concept of time. To trust in the eternal God who views time much differently than we do. Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, it's easy to view life looking backwards. We can do that. We can look back over our life and see, connect the dots, see where things make sense, see why we are the way that we are, and kind of look over the history of our life. It's easy to look backwards at our life, but we have to live life forward. We don't live life backwards. We live life forwards, and that's difficult to do, and that's scary to do. There's fear involved because we don't know what the future will hold. So as we live this life with a future unknown, a lifespan, 
uh, we don't know how long we'll be here. We have to put our trust in the eternal God that holds the future in His hands. And when I think about our limited time and God's view of time, I think it's a challenge for me to recognize the time that God has given us on this earth. In the Greek, there are two words for time. The words are chronos and kairos. In the New Testament, chronos is used most often. We translate it as time either way. Chronos is like the sequence of time. It's like lining up history on a timeline and you see chronologically how events take place in your own life or in human history. That's chronos. But this other word for time, kairos, it's kind of this special word that means an opportune time. A time that can never be... Repeated, a time that is the right time. And so Galatians 4.4, it happens within chronos. It happens within, the fullness of time happens within a timeline, within human history. But it was also a kairos moment because it was the right time. It was the opportune time. Like God knew this was the right time. And when I think about these two Greek words, and I think about our own lives, I've said this before, that as short as our lives are, like what James says in James 4.14, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. With this short lives that we are offered, the short time that we are here, it's like our lives are one Kairos moment. A point in time in human history that won't be repeated. We have this one life to live, and have we recognized it? How are we spending the time that we do have? I spent a lot of time this week and last week re-watching this speech that was given by this coach, Jimmy Valvano. It was from the 1993 ESPY Awards. Anybody remember this? Anybody? I know some of you probably have seen this. If you haven't, I encourage you to get on YouTube and watch it. It's about an 11-minute speech. Jimmy Valvano was a basketball coach who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he he didn't know how long he was going to live. He received this award at the ESPY Awards, and he gets up to give this now very famous speech. And he started his speech by saying, time is very precious to me because I don't know how much of it I have left. And knowing that he's basically been giving a death sentence. His opening statement carries a lot of weight with it. Time is very precious to me because I don't know how much of it I have left. And he goes on to give this great speech. And during the speech, he said, you want to make every day count. And if you want to make every day count, you need to laugh, think, and cry. If at some point during your day, you're moved to laughter and it's a genuine laugh. And if you're moved to thought and you have a deep thought, and if you're moved to tears, whether it be joy or pain, if you're laughing, if you're thinking, if you're crying, he says you're making the most of that day. That's a pretty full day. And he gives this fantastic speech, very motivational. And every time I go back and I watch it, what it reminds me is that here's a man giving a speech knowing that his time on earth is limited. So he was going to make every moment count. He was going to make the most of the time that he had left. And he died just a couple months after giving this speech. But people still today, all these years later, watch this speech and find motivation, not only from his words, but from what he was doing 
towards the end of his life. He recognized the time that God had given him and the time that he had left on this earth. And none of us know how much time we have, but we know in the big span of things, it's not that much time. About a month ago, I was trying to fit some stuff in the back seat of my car, and I was getting frustrated. I like to keep commentaries and and other things in my car, so when I travel, I have them with me. And then sometimes when I have kids or somebody needs to ride with me, there's just never enough room back there because I have this big car seat right in the middle. And I was getting frustrated one day with that car seat, and I said out loud in my frustration, I can't wait for my kids to be bigger and older so I can get this car seat out of my car. And it's like as soon as I said it, this voice in my head was like, but are you really engaged and are you really appreciating the stage of life that you're in right now? Because when you get rid of that car seat, that signifies your kids are getting older and now you've moved into the next stage in life. And I don't want to go through my life always saying, well, I'm ready for the next stage. I'm ready for the next stage. Are you engaged and living in the stage of life that you are currently in? Are you recognizing the life that you have, the time that God has given you right now? The fullness of time had come. God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. That moment that took place human history changed the world forever. It's part of the reason why we're here today. It was the beginning of God's plan of salvation. We know the story doesn't end with Jesus just being born and placed in this manger and having to escape and go to Egypt. The story continues and from a manger it leads to a cross. And it leads to Jesus as a man willingly dying on a cross. Being buried in a tomb. Resurrecting on the third day appearing to His disciples, ascending to heaven. And when Jesus left, He left with a promise that He's coming back. In Acts chapter 1, the angels are standing there with the disciples. They said, just as you saw Him leave, you will see Him return. So we live in between these two times. of God's original advent, the arrival of the Messiah, and the anticipation of the second advent of the time where Jesus will uphold His promise and He will return. So as we anticipate and we wait that second coming of Christ or maybe just the short lives that we have, have you truly trusted your life, your faith, your everything into the hands of the eternal God? And if not, today may be a good day to really consider what that may mean for you. If you need to be prayed for, if you need to be encouraged in any way, I know this can be a difficult season for some people. Kenny, you mentioned it during your prayer this morning. If you need to find comfort or encouragement, I'll be up front with one of our elders. We'll have shepherds around the room. Please find someone and spend some time praying. I want to invite you to stand and we'll continue to sing.